On front page with me this morning, journalist from Malaysian Insight, KL Chan, and senior correspondent at Malay Mail, Yiswari Palansami. Good morning, folks. Good morning, Shazmin. Yeah, good morning. Okay, now it looks like uh, the government has pledged to liberate Malaysia from corruption and abuse of power. This was uh, the latest from the Prime Minister on Monday, and it feels like uh, a little bit of deja vu. I mean, we've been hearing this for the ye- last year and a half. Um, how far has the government progressed to make this vision a reality. You swear? If you were to look at it, the government has started this registry as a declaration registry where, you know, the public can access the information of the MPs and um, I mean, basically the asset details of the lawmakers and that is actually a really good start because we've been asking for something like that for a very long time and yeah. despite some retaliation in parliament when the government proposed the, the agenda... Well, it has come into fruition. Uh, the last, the MACC Chief Commissioner said that quite a number of lawmakers have already declared uh, their assets and whatnot. But uh, I do not think everyone has done so. And I think there's still a little bit of fear, you know, as to the repercussions which they would have to face from the public if the public knows how much they have and whatnot. And this was even mentioned by the Pasisala MP in Parliament, hmm. you know, that he was not agreeable to that. So we need that shift in the mentality because you can go and talk about defeating corruption every other day. But then if you it doesn't start with you, the people who are there making policies, then, you know, how are others going to emulate it? Right. Chan, um, what would be the ideal outcome that Malaysians would like to see? But ideally, they want more transparency. That, I mean, that's, that's, that's the point for check and balances, right? If you don't know, you can't check, yeah? So I, I think in that aspect, the government has made some progress, particularly in parliament. But these, these are very dry areas which yeah. the yeah people don't pay a lot of attention to, like uh, the setting up of the extra committees and you know that sort of thing. But I think on the on the corruption level, on or at least on the public perception level, you, you see that on on the government side's battle against corruption and transparency, I think there's been a rise yeah. in perception. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if, if I may mm-hmm. just add, next year the Section 17A of the MACC Act would come into force. So this is to tackle corporate corruption. Wow. At all levels. Um, this was proposed during the law, was proposed during the BN era, but then it's supposed to take effect only next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason behind that, I believe, it's because they want to take the time to educate corporations about their responsibilities in tackling corruption because we know a lot of these things happen everywhere, especially yeah. in corporations. So the government is spearheading a lot of efforts, but we, you know, end of the day, like Chan mentioned, we need the results. We need to see that everyone is on board on this um, initiative, you know. It's not just a certain group of people doing it and mm-hmm. there's no reaction. So the efforts are there. We need to see the results now. All right. When we come back, we're going to take a look at uh, this headline, E-hailing job for master's degree holders. Is there hope for the rest of us? Uh, that's up next here on Light. On front page with me this morning, Iswari Palansami from Malay Mail and KL Chan from Malaysian Insight and taking a look at um, one headline which um, basically reads e-hailing job for master's degree holders. And um, this was basically a story about how um, a graduate with a mechanical engineering degree is now driving for an e-hailing app. So if master's degree holders cannot get jobs, what is actually the real reason behind it in your opinion? Opinion. You sorry? Malaysia's job 
diversity has been quite stagnant for some years now. You know, um, a lot of graduates are coming, but there are just not many jobs to go around. There's not been a lot of job creation, you know. Mm-hmm. So we are very mainstream when it comes to jobs. Okay, so while globally a lot of other places, many types of things are actually shaping up. You know, making up new sectors of the economy. We are still quite slow in that section. So that is one. That is one problem, and um, I think we need to try and be open-minded when we look at um, higher education and whatnot. You know, some of the courses. How are they going to benefit economically? How are they going to be able to contribute? You know, you don't want a situation where you spend a lot of money to get your masters and your PhD, mm-hmm. and later you find out that the the course that you took it's not really something which is um, economically beneficial. You know, for you or the or the or the industries and whatnot. Right. Well, it's not like the courses are not beneficial at all. But we need to see what. The industry mm. needs now, mm-hmm. and uh, like I said, there has not been much motivation when it comes to job creation. So that is what's causing the problem. So we need to we need to try and look into that. Right. Uh, your thoughts, Chan? I think when we look at the higher education uh, people who are getting their masters and PhDs, and I agree with Yis Iswari in the sense that we're not creating enough jobs. But but particularly for guys like this, it's we're not creating enough jobs in uh, R and D areas, ac- mm. academic sectors. Mm-hmm. When we talk about PhD people, you know they are meant to go into either a- academic uh, arenas or we're looking at R and D, research yeah. and development, and there's just not enough avenues for them to get into this areas yeah mm-hmm. uh, again this was a very anecdotal uh, example of this guy doing yes. it then would a master's and a PhD in this day and age I mean would that still be relevant for I guess it would depend also on which industry or which it, it avenue would, it, it would definitely depend on the industry Shazmin mm-hmm. but then again we need to look at the wages you know wages have yeah. been stagnant uh, you know if you look if you look at the uh, statistics in the last 10 years wages have been very stagnant so living costs is on the rise wages have not been going up you know in tandem mm-hmm. and people are struggling you know and uh, there are you know people are even struggling for to to maintain ba- basic necessities uh, ba- to get basic necessities like some are even struggling with rent you know uh, e- even when they want to buy a home they're struggling because mm-hmm. you know wages are just not going up with you know some people who have done their masters and phd still not earning that much and yeah. then you get the situation where, where a lot of them um, you know take up e-hailing uh, drive which is not bad actually yeah. because it helps them to uh, sustain themselves sustain themselves yeah. but then like you know I remember um, the blue big blue taxi founder had raised this question <laughs> which made a little bit of sense mm-hmm. at that point where he questioned like we are targeting to be a high income nation but we are encouraging people to take up uh, you know jobs, low income yeah. jobs and and what not so it, it's just a matter of perspective but mm. we need to do something job creation is important Absolutely. especially when we are going towards a very globalized industry all right when we come back we're going to take a look at uh, the haze be more firm with indonesia says haze ridden sarawak that headline is next here on light on front page with me this morning, Iswari Panansami from Malay Mail, KL Chan from Malaysian Insight, and it looks like the Sarawak state government wants the federal government to be more assertive in asking Indonesia to deal with its open burning in forests that have caused haze to overwhelm the state. In fact, I'm feeling it can barely breathe. Yeah. My asthma's come back. And it seems like year on year the haze has become an issue. Um, is Sarawak correct to demand firm action against Indonesia? 
You sorry? I think anyone's correct to demand any sort of action, especially when it comes to environmental issues. But I do not think that we should squarely place the blame on Indonesia. Mm. Let me give you an example. On my way here, I saw people openly burning stuff. And despite the government issuing warning, the fire and rescue brigade issuing warning saying, you know, you cannot do open burning, there are still a lot of people doing it. So you you know it's like what how do you say it? pot calling the kettle black or Absolutely. kettle calling the pot black or whichever mm. way calling well, anyone Indonesia know? has kind of deflected things and said hey look we're not the only one mm-hmm. but Chan do you feel the Malaysian government is doing enough to protect us uh, you know from this deadly air pollution it's been so many years I think the what do you call it starting I mean talking about haze and how Malaysia deals with it I think we've gotten better over the years as in we have been more transparent there was I, I can remember a time when uh, you know the government would say oh there's nothing wrong and you, you can't see your hand in front of you <laughs> kind of thing right <laughs> so in that sense they have been more open about it you know for the last 10-15 years I think mm-hmm. as for dealing with Indonesia that's a bit tricky because um, at the end of the day you know if they are doing it there it's, it's uh, we, we offer help every time they mm-hmm. you know they start burning and we say yeah. oh we're gonna send guys over to you know help put out your fires and mm-hmm. all that but I'm not sure until ASEAN itself comes to some sort of uh, agreement if you can do anything more punitive than just offer. Malaysia help. did like recently they did offer again, yes. yeah. but like Chan mentioned, it should be like a transboundary cooperation because it's not just going to affect Malaysia. You know, mm-hmm. it, the the air definitely is going to carry. I mean, I'm sure we all saw what happened with the Amazon rainforest oh, fire, right? Look at how far it traveled. Mm. It's the same thing with haze. You know, some are in denial, but. I think it's time we really have to address that, you know, this thing can really cause a lot of harm to a lot of people. Yeah, I'm surprised that in 2019, we're still calling it haze, to be honest. <laughs> it's smog, <Yeah. laughs> isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But, or, I mean, to deal with it effectively, they have to deal with it on an ASEAN level. Yes. Yeah, all the countries have got to, you know, get together and say, you know, when this happens, how do we snap into action? Yeah. If you encourage it in your own country to, you know, on opening, mm. burning on this mass scale, what can mm. we do? You have to pay Deforestation, a fine. it's usually because of this reason. So, you know, we really need to check and see how our corporations are doing and if they're actually abiding by the law if there's any corruption involved all right indeed now coming up there has been no indication of sabotage in the klia system glitch uh, lately so we're gonna take a look at that headline next on light on front page with me this morning journalist from Malaysian Insight KL Chan and senior correspondent from Malay Mail Yiswari Palansami and there's uh, no indication of foul play w- with the recent KLIA glitch the system glitch that affected so many travellers and wasted so many hours so if there are no indication of foul play what other avenues do you think the police will be looking at for this major outage at KLIA Chan? Um, I believe they are, they are looking at uh, whether there was just a human error and probably uh, I, I saw a report a couple of days ago they're looking at whether there's any um, sabotage mm-hmm. or hacking from another country kind of thing right, right. so um, we have to probably wait a bit and see how it goes okay yeah. uh, what can the government do or uh, MAHB do to ensure that you know these major glitches don't you know, happen again. Well, um, I'll be honest, Shazmin. I'm not a tech person, but the way I look at it, being being someone who travels, 
quite yeah, quite. I feel that they should probably invest in probably a good software or you know hire more people who are able to contain this um, you know issues like this because it's serious. You know you have got probably thousands of people at one time at the airport waiting to board their flight. Mm-hmm. Some may be going to visit someone who are they they are going to see for the last time and whatnot, and then you get all these glitches happening for a week. So I think a little bit of investment to make sure that things like this does not happen would actually bode very well because our airports are literally like you know our country's ambassadors as well yes. so it it carries an impression among travelers hmm. coming up claims of easy citizenship the national registration department has lodged a report against facebook and twitter users that headline next here on light on front page with me this morning, K.L. Chan from Malaysian Insight and Yiswari Palansami from Malay Mail. And uh, claims of easy citizenship has the National Registration Department lodging a police report against several Facebook and Twitter account holders who say that the department is easily giving out citizenship to foreigners. This has been an issue in the past, um, however, never proven. How can the NRD prove that this has not been happening? I, I get where you're coming from. I, I think you're... L- you're probably talking about like Sabah, I see issue, right? In yeah. The 80s well, we've heard that. about this, yeah. Yeah, and I think there was an RCI done on it as well. Mm. Yeah, mm. so it's not just a rumor kind of thing, yeah. So okay, okay, let's let's zoom to today, yeah. I think there's no way to say how does you know how do you prove probably other than look at statistics from NRD's uh, reports and and see how many. How many citizenships, how many PRs they, you know, they give out. They've issued, yep. Yeah, they've issued, yeah, over the years. The other thing, of course, when we talk about uh, people coming in with these uh, PR statuses, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, there has been an uptick ever since we introduced the Malaysia My Second Home thing yes. about more than 10, mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Yeah, and I think one of the latest stats show that people from China, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, yeah. Hong Kong now we're getting more bigger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we do get that kind of thing coming in. All right, your thoughts, Yiswari? Well, I would say it's 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 difficult. That's that's going to take a lot of firefighting. But the thing here is, whenever it comes to issues of IC or citizenship granting, it's always a matter of impression. Um, like Chan mentioned, given the accusations of what happened in Sabah and and uh, supposedly. A project I see and whatnot mm-hmm. as it was claimed it's been etched in people's minds and hearts that something's going on something's going on and how come so many people in the estates have not get, gotten it and then you know it's got uh, and and people who just come in from another country get it but when I spoke to the uh, NRD director general yesterday he said that it's not an easy route actually oh. he said like some uh, of those who have gotten their their citizenship have actually held the my PR card for 20 to 30 years so it's been a lot of intense vetting and right. after that it's they a decide long to grant it. Yeah. Mm. So people would still have that lush I mean people would still think no there's there's some it, it's it's difficult to change. Right. So yeah. So, okay. so the NRE just has to show that they are not doing it but it's going to be a lot of okay, firefighting. Well, you know, coming back to social media, I mean, a lot of people use it to express their opinions, their views, but also to, you know, to propagate fake news and, and just, you know, start a rumor. And with NRD reporting uh, social media users to the police and what that, are they kind of disrespecting the whole idea of freedom of speech? Or is this something that they need to do to, to kind of nip this in the bud? 
No, freedom of speech works both ways, you know. So if uh, you have the freedom to say something, so the other person has the freedom to rebut you as well. That's how it works. It's not a one-pronged thing, you know. It mm. works both ways. So no, it it's absolutely within NRD's right if they want to sue people who they feel have uh, tarnished their reputation or defamed them. Well, guys, thank you so much for, you know, popping in this morning and taking a look at the front page with us. Thank you, Shazmi. <laughs> Thank you, Shazmi. It was great here. Kale Chan from Malaysian Insight and Yiswari Pansami from the Malay Mail.